Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar with you, along with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfeld. Sage, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm somewhere between Des Moines, Iowa, and Omaha, Nebraska, uh, on my way back from the Twin Cities, of which I was for the last few days. So looking forward to getting home for... uh, uh, for the next week or so. So we've talked about like you doing other podcast ideas. Sage on the road could be like a whole other podcast where you're just driving and you just talk about whatever the hell you happen to be thinking about at that time. Well, that's sort of a thing. You know, when you, when you live in Omaha, you sort of live absolutely in the smack dibble of middle of nowhere. You know, <laughs> right. it's, it's like I'm, uh, I'm two and a half hours from Ames where I went to college. I'm four hours from my parents in eastern Iowa. I'm five and a half hours from the Twin Cities. I'm three hours from Kansas City. I'm seven and a half hours from Denver. I'm just so, and I'm on the road a lot. I like to travel. Uh, sometimes I can fly and other times I feel like it's just better to drive, especially when I have my dog. So, uh, yeah, I'm on the road a lot. I put about 30, 35,000 miles a year on my car. Wow. Wow. Um, and you can, uh, reflect on the Vikings offense as you are driving. Of course, I'm sure that's all you were thinking about. Well, um, I reflect on it or I talk about it, uh, whether it's you or other. It's amazing how many phone calls I get from radio stations around the country uh, that want to talk about the Vikings. You know, they they're, they become a, sort of a national franchise. One, two, they're in the mix, and they have been in the mix the last few years. You know, people want to talk about Kirk Cousins. They want to talk about, you know, this offense and, and uh, you know, Dalvin Cook and uh, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. And so it's, you know, I – I am talking about the Vikings a lot, uh, and not just on the Purple Podcast. And oh, well, thanks for making me feel special. Uh, but the <laughs> other thing is, the other thing is too, if you're on, on my end of this thing, if you nab yourself a journeyman quarterback who can talk about the game the, the way that many journeymen can, uh, I mean, you're a special breed. So when we can get you to break down, you know, quarterback play, uh, that's that, that's the best thing you can ask for. So I'm not surprised that you get lots of um, you know phone calls asking for your services. So let's. Well, let's, let's start there then. I mean, I, I went back and watched the tape, Sage, and I thought they checked off every box for what Mike Zimmer wanted them to change. There were a lot of simple things. They got Delvin Cook the football on some screens, 
and they threw it to Kyle Rudolph. Like, imagine that, just getting seven, eight yards to Kyle Rudolph. And they did some simplistic things. Little, a little mesh in the middle of the field with Rudolph and, and Thielen. A little slant flat combination. Like things that are just the simple stuff that they can execute really well because they have great players. And I thought John Filippo had himself a bounce back game. I think, uh, you know, making Kyle Rudolph in particular, you know, probably more often the number one guy. Uh, in some of these progressions, I think it's a good idea. I and mean, then, you know, I, people are like, are you crazy? I mean, we got Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. Yes, we do. But to make them the number one guy, you know, down the field, that means the quarterback has to hold on to the football a lot. Uh, and I think that what the, what the, 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 the Vikings need to do, what Cousins needs to do is get the ball out of his hands. You know, the longer the ball is in his hands, the more chance of, you know, sort of bad things happening. You no know, linemen getting beat. You know, we, we've talked about it, you know, ad nauseum, you know, that, that they don't run the football well, so they have to throw it, uh, which exposes Cousins and this offense to, to other problems. And so, you know, Rudy is really the receiver that's the closest to the football, uh, you know, other than maybe a running back or something. But, you know, you can do some quick passes to tie to get the ball out of your hands. And he's so sure-handed. He's not super fast, so he's not a stretch-the-field guy. He's, you know, getting closer and closer to sort of that Jason Witten underneath security blankets and uh in this game was the most catches he's had all year uh going back to the packers game in week two uh and sure enough, the vikings were really really efficient on offense had no uh no turnovers uh and uh had a very successful day so with rudolph you know they talk about the running game setting up second and short or third and short but with rudolph on first down he's great because, like you said, he catches everything. They complete 82% of passes this year when throwing his way, and it's generally been 70% or higher, even with Case Keenum, Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater, because, like you said, he catches everything. So if you run something simple to him, like there was one play on first down where he just found a little space in the, the zone, and it was like eight yards. Perfect. I mean, then you're a second and two. You can run play action. You can run a shot play down the field to Thielen or Diggs. I mean, it just it sets up so much. And ignoring him in the offense uh, over the first, I mean, really half of this season for the most part outside of one or two games, I, I think has been a, a bad plan. They haven't really used him a lot even in the red zone. He only has two touchdowns this year. So getting him a lot more involved I think is where where this starts and does open up a lot of other things. And I, I was looking at one particular play on a third down where there were four guys around Stefan Diggs, zero guys around Kyle Rudolph. They drop it off to Rudolph for a first down. I, I think he's one of those sort of linchpin type of pieces, even though he isn't the Diggs and Thielen centerpiece of the offense. Well, yeah, and he's crafty. You know, and I, I, that's a, what's a word I like to use for tight ends who don't have, you know, uh, extreme vertical speed and they're not a down the field, you know, almost a wide receiver slash tight ends. These guys who are a little bit more lumberers, but they're crafty. They catch everything. They understand coverage and understand how to get open. Enough separation where the quarterback has a chance to throw the ball. Of course, it helps that you're six six and has long and have long arms and and can catch everything. You know, from ten feet down to your ankles, basically. Uh, he you know, there's something about him. They probably should work work him into the offense more. The Vikings need to figure out what their sort of offensive mentality is. Are we going to continue to try to run the football and, and be unsuccessful or not try to run it or whatever? Are we going to be a throwing team? You know, if we are, what does that expose us to negatively versus positively? And how do we minimize those uh, negative uh, uh, issues? 
Um, and one of those things, if they, if they decide to throw the ball more, is that sort of quick game, three-step, five-step, get the ball out, a uh, little bootleg stuff, uh, and get in one of those things is get the ball to their tight end, Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, and then Delvin Cook is the other big part of this, too. And using him on a jet sweep early in the game sets up, I think, the other team to have to really pay attention to those fake jet sweeps that a lot of teams use now. And I think the Vikings could use a lot more to have that that type of action that's going to make uh, the linebacker move his eyes right before the snap to pay attention to whether you know someone like Delvin Cook or Stephon Diggs is going to take the jet sweep and run with it. And I, I thought that that sort of set a tone that, like, yeah, we're going to use Delvin Cook in some different ways today. And then getting him uh, going on the screen game it just, it was so much more of an all-around type of game plan that it reminded me of what Pat Shermer had done in 2017. It almost made me think, Sage, that Mike Zimmer was like, look, here's what we did last year. We gave the ball to lots of different people. We spread it around. We threw these play-action plays, which they hit on a few. We, we threw some screens to Delvin Cook. Like, like this isn't that complicated, man. And don't ever leave Riley Reef alone on Khalil Mack again. You know, like just let, let's move the pocket and get Kirk out. You know, he's surprisingly sage. I think he's surprisingly good when he's rolling out at keeping his eyes down the field and letting things develop and, and finding people like he did on that Adam Thielen touchdown. Listen, if if you watch, you know, I always tell you when you're talking about an NFL quarterback, go back and figure out when they came into the league. How were they trained? More than college, like those first few years of the NFL, as a young guy, you got a new coach who's going to really try to break you in uh, and teach you those first fundamentals of, of football, really, at, at a pro level. And I go back to him, and it's Washington. It's Kyle Shanahan. It's, it's that zone system with the play action and bootleg. Mm-hmm. Yep. So usually, and, and he was successful in it. So that is what he does well. Uh, he's had a million reps at it. Um, it usually keeps them out of trouble when you're running around. You have a place to throw the ball away. You have a little more time. You can see everything. Uh, you can see things develop. You know, those type of things. I, I, I think it's something that he does very, very well. Yeah. The play action game, uh, uh, and that bootleg game should be something because they're actually fairly, especially bootlegs. You know, Gary Kubiak, our coach and Kyle too would say, never take a sack on a bootleg. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I don't think of I probably ran over the course of 10 starts and preseason games and all these things. I may have run, you know, three or four hundred bootlegs uh, in that in that offense. Not once did I take a sack. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Because, you, you know, you don't all, all, if, if you if you feel like you're going to have pressure, you throw it at the feet of the tight end of the fullback that's right in front of you. And you just and move on backwards. to the next play. You usually don't throw you usually don't throw bootlegs. On third down and seven, right? Mm-hmm. You throw them on first down to complement the run, second down, third and short, right? So there's nothing wrong with punting for one, uh, and there's nothing wrong with moving on to the next play. And if you can call, you know, four or five bootlegs a game, those are plays that don't have to be first down, shotgun, drop back pass. Good luck, Riley Reef. Right, and and I'm not, uh, and that's the thing is that you got to give Riley Reef help. You know, and giving him a bootleg, you're rolling away from their right defensive end, who's probably their best pass rusher, more likely than not, coming off of the backside of the quarterback. So when you can roll out away from that guy and maybe even give multiple blockers, have somebody stay in to help, I mean, then that's how Chicago was able to eliminate Everson Griffin in that game, was rolling out Mitch Trubisky quite a bit. And I I, I thought that if they carried over some of these things that they were able to do, 
And another one on my list was Kirk Cousins actually taking off when he's got a chance. If they carry over some of these things, getting Delvin the ball, simplifying, getting Kirk out in bootlegs more often, I mean, I, I think it could be a great offense going down the stretch, even despite some of their issues with protection and, and uh, run blocking. Offensive linemen, of all the plays uh, that they can do, and if you ask them, you know, what are your favorite types of plays? You know, are they straight zone running plays, outside zone? Are they power plays and traps? Are they pass blocking? Uh, are they play action? Are they, you know, naked bootleg type plays? I bet you bootlegs fairly high up on their list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they get to come off the ball. Uh, they're sort of hard to screw up for them. You know, you come off, you have your guy, uh, but you just really get to come off. And, and so it's okay if you miss it a little bit, right? They're probably not going to sack the quarterback. And, uh, and a lot of times big plays occur because of them. And sacks usually don't occur because of them. So I think it's just sort of one of their favorite concepts if you ask them. And, and uh, it's because a lot of good things happen. Uh, and it gets the quarterback out of the pocket and away from trouble. So Kirk taking a couple of free first downs with his legs. Uh, he does not run a 4-4-40, but the teams, if they're playing, uh, especially to take away Thielen and Diggs deep, are often dropping back in zones and things like that and giving him areas where he could take off and get seven or eight yards and, and get a first down on a third down. How should he balance not really being a quarterback that you want to run all the time like Mitch Trubisky or Lamar Jackson, uh, but a quarterback that can certainly do it when he's given the opportunity. You know, I think for him, since, since he's such a recognizer of coverages, that you start talking about, you know, hey, on you know third down situations, if you're catching two man or you're catching certain coverages where it might be uh, a smart move to run, you, know, you can move that a little bit higher up. It's not really more of a reaction. It's actually something that's a little bit more, you know, voluntary, I guess. Uh, you know, hey, this is a good coverage to run if my first or second read's not open. And I think to sort of make it up, a part of his, like, hey, runs, we like your runs. Your runs are very positive. Or don't shy away from it. You know, this, that, and the other. So I, I, one issue with him running though is he's not a, now I was thinking about this this morning. He's not a super instinctual athlete in some ways, an uh-huh. instinctual runner for sure. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of running is actually instinctual. And that's why he probably looks a little bit uncomfortable doing it. It's not sort of part of his natural, you know, athletic ability. Right, right, right. I mean, he's he's not going to drop any sort of, um, you know, Barry Sanders type juke moves on anybody. It's just uh, when it's there. There were a couple times in Chicago that when I look back at the tape, especially, it's like, dude, if you just run, you're going to get eight, nine yards and get a first down on a key play. And he didn't do that. And Mike Zimmer said on Monday that he talked with Kirk about. Uh, taking a little more of that. And coincidentally, in John Gruden's QB camp, he talks to Cousins about having opportunities to run. So I guess it's always been a thing um, that, that maybe he's been a little hesitant to do. Now, another thing I want to ask you about is the quarterback sneak. Uh, and it comes up this week for me because Cousins was successful on it. Ran right up to the line and got a second and three, I think, got a first down by just sneaking up the middle. And Tom Brady is the grand lord of the qb sneak that he's just had such incredible success with it the patriots love using it he's like 90 something percent for his career success rate when they run it on third or fourth and one uh why does that work and what are the things you're keeping in mind as a quarterback when you're sneaking well i'll tell you this it does seem like different teams have different uh sort of rules and how they block quarterback sneak 
Um, I think there are almost different blocking schemes and styles within that. You know, who you're going to double team, uh, you know, because it's, you know, do you double team the down guys or do you, you know, try to get up to the linebackers and, you know, the technique involved and all those types of things, the fronts, the different fronts. A lot of teams just sort of wedge block it mm-hmm. for the most part. You know, everyone just sort of steps inside and, and goes low and fires off and whatever. And the quarterback finds his spot. I, I believe other teams, I think the Patriots are one of them with Tom Brady is that they actually, it's almost like a play. And the play is, it's a sneak, but it's, it's whatever the look is, is how it's sort of blocked and what Tom does because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, what gives them the best chance? I do believe they have that play down to a science pipe better than other NFL teams. How do you read it as a quarterback for where you're going to go? I mean, cause if they got, uh, Gilbert Brown there or Ted Washington, you're probably not going right into him or Linval Joseph. You're, you're probably not going right into the nose tackle right over your center, right? I mean, or, or what are you kind well, of usually, you, usually you pick a side and that's pre- predetermined before the game going into the game. You know, are we going to go right or are we going to go left? And a lot of teams, it might be like automatically we like going right mm-hmm. because then you'll lead with your left shoulder. Uh, and so, that, you know, you, your, your throwing shoulder and the ball aren't exposed, okay, you know, or whatever, to fumble yeah. or something like that, right? Uh, Alex Gibbs or the Texans would say whether you're on the goal line or a quarterback sneak, never put the ball out right. unless it's fourth down. If it's fourth down, put the, by all means, put the ball out there. Right, because who cares you know, if, if you fumble? Trying to reach for it. Who cares if you fumble? Right. Uh, but I see Drew Brees jump over and put the ball on first down all the time on the one foot line, right? Um, so yeah, there's, you know, there's different defenses too. You know, you can see guys are, are in that sort of four point stance. They're looking at what they call a submarine, mm-hmm. where they're literally just submarine at sort of the knees, uh, and, you know, sort of under, get underneath the center. So they he can't push and just create a pile. And that look, a lot of times that's when you want to jump over. Because you know you're not going to have that threat. Where are the linebackers in this thing? You know, are they right there at the line? Or are they, you know, back four yards deep? Right. You know, you know, maybe ready to take on some sort of different type of block. You know, or run laterally side to side. You know, there's a lot. There is actually a lot that goes into a sneak. It pretty is. It is incredible. I know, and that's why I love it. <laughs> it's like I asked. Uh, by the way, I asked Bill Belichick on the conference call about the success for QB sneaks. And would you like to know his answer? Sure. Uh, it's not a long one. I said, uh, so Bill, uh, you know, what's the uh, reason for your guys' incredible success, so, you know, since you've been the head coach of these QB sneaks? They even did a study on it at Yale. I didn't mention that, but they did. And uh, he's, he just says, execution. That's exactly right. So that's that's the whole point. Execution. There, I, 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 I think you could think he's being sarcastic, like it's super quarterback sneak. Let's not overthink this. I do believe they have sort of certain rules. And he's not going to give those rules up. He's not right. going to say, well, when they're in the, you know, he's not going to say that. Uh, but my guess is they do have, because there are times you look at the best hole might be around your, like almost like a mini option mm-hmm. where you see this hole because there's, you know, there's four guys crammed right over the ball, basically. And you want to run outside, you know, towards the, you know, B to C gap. Uh, and maybe there's a softer spot over there with a wide defensive bed or something like that. So, you know, there's aspects of it that you sort of see those things too. And that's where, you know, Brady and the, uh, the line obviously seem like to me like they're working together really well. Man, I'm just going to say this for our listeners. If you like football, that was, that was your breakdown right there. The QB sneak. And I love it. That's awesome. Um, and I expect to see them. And what's really interesting is that the Vikings are the best team in the NFL since 2015 at shutting down third and one and fourth and one. 
especially on runs up the middle, they are 4% better than the next best team at runs up the middle in those situations, which would be my argument for why Linval Joseph uh, is the best nose tackle in the game. Um, but uh, when it comes to Brady, the bigger picture on Brady, uh, we did a podcast where we got a receiver's perspective who had played with Tom Brady as a quarterback, uh, Sage. You know, we broke it down Aaron Rodgers. We broke it down Drew Brees. What is different about Brady from some of the other elite quarterbacks? I, I Accuracy and decision-making. Accuracy and decision-making. Unbelievable instincts. Uh, his feel for the in the pockets of what's going on around him. His spatial recognition and awareness is incredible. Uh, his accuracy. Watch how many balls that he passes are are in the perfect spots. Mm-hmm. You know, Jason Garrett used to talk about when he was my quarterback coach in Miami, watch how many of Tom Brady's passes hit guys right in the chest. Hit them in the chest where they, they cannot drop them. Stick it on that front number. Literally do not let that guy drop it. And that accuracy is just incredible. Obviously recognition of who might be open and finding that one-on-one matchup. You know, they do a great job with a lot of concepts, but Really, it's finding one-on-one matchups, finding great matchups. And if my guy can beat that guy in man-to-man and sort of one-on-one coverage, uh, because even in zone, a lot of times these zones are sort of match-up zones, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so uh, his ability to, to diagnose all of that is incredible. But really, to me, it's, he makes great decisions. He's incredibly accurate. The fact that he's only gotten hurt one time. Uh, and, and, I, and our special guest is a part of this conversation. <laughs> that's our right, special that's uh, right. Uh, uh, back and quarterback coming up, uh, but his ability to not get hurt, his availability also incredible. Now, the accuracy thing, I was thinking about this the other day, about the greatest quarterbacks of all time, when you just write them down. Okay, so you do have your number one picks like Peyton Manning and, and John Elway, but so many of the greatest quarterbacks of all time are not top draft picks at all. Brady, very famously, but even Drew Brees. Aaron Rodgers is a first-rounder, but he still dropped in the draft. I mean... Imagine like you you let Aaron Rodgers just pass by you, uh, you know, in the in the first round or something. Uh, a guy who set up a franchise to be successful and competitive for a decade plus, and you just let him drop to whatever he was, seventeenth or something. Uh, and I was thinking about this sage of just the emphasis on accuracy maybe isn't even enough when it comes to how NFL teams evaluate these quarterbacks. I mean, the mental processing is very hard to know when it when a guy's going to get into a real NFL game and so forth. But it's almost like, but he's got the big arm, or he's athletic, or he's got this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, oh, and I guess he's accurate, when accuracy seems like that should be number one. So what's the most important thing about a, uh, a guy uh, who shoot, or a woman who shoots a basketball? A woman who shoots a basketball. Or a guy, or man or woman, how they, when they shoot a basketball. What's the most important thing? Do you mean like technique or just like uh, from like? Exactly. It's not yeah. their size. It's oh, not right. Their yeah. Technique. Okay. I see. It's yeah. not their 40 time. Can they put it in the hoop? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Right. Steph Curry is a terrible combine athlete. Right. But he puts the ball in the hoop. And he knows how to, you know, have spatial recognition and get open and, you know, and he sees the whatever. But he puts the ball in the hoop. And, so um, I don't care if you're, you know, and, and you know, rather than being whatever he is, six three or whatever he is, if some guy is six six, he's going to be the NBA, you know, top five lottery pick if he shoots like Steph Curry. But Steph Curry drops lower and lower and lower and is overlooked. 
we look at we look at athletes a lot of times we see the big arm we see the athletic ability but like are they an accurate passer and 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 good decision maker because that is the thing that without that you know Steph Curry is just a college basketball player doesn't have any exceptional skills if he's not a great shooter um and uh and we we fail to to really see that or recognize that or understand that you know that's funny you bring that up because that's exactly how the Minnesota Timberwolves ended up passing over Steph Curry was that they valued Johnny Flynn's athleticism and how hilarious uh did that turn out right i think too often whether it's at the combine or the private workouts or whatever, that GMs, coaches, um, whoever it might be who picks these quarterbacks, they get too involved with you know, how big is he, what's his height, what's his weight, what's his this, that, and the other. And the, you know, the real question is, is he accurate? Does he make great decisions? And then maybe have that higher in the list than arm strength. Um, uh, because, you know, listen, Drew Brees, his whole thing was that he did not have a big arm and he's now being talked about as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Right. You really look at the numbers. I mean, he has led the league in passing so many times. It's not even close compared to, uh, you know, the other great ones we see on the list. Mm-hmm. You know, he led the league in passing during a lot of these Tom Brady years, during a lot of these Peyton Manning years, during a lot of these Brett Favre years. Drew Brees was, was beating them all was beating them all with, with, with yards and touchdowns. You could say it's the offense. You could say it's this. The fact is he's six foot. He doesn't have a big arm, but he's incredibly accurate, and he makes great decisions, and he can process information. And to me, that's the thing that also a lot of people a lot of miss on. How do they process information? That's this great unknown uh, that has to do with uh, instincts and how you think and how you take in information and shoot it back out how your body responds. It's a very, very hard thing to sort of uh, figure out with some combine test. Yeah. You know, it's very psychological. And I do think that the, you know, whether it's college football, pro football, they are looking into this type of research more and more. Mm-hmm. You know, how do, how, when we see, when we meet a kid that's even an, an eighth grader and he has talent, but how does his mind process information? Right, right. And where does he struggle? Can you improve that? Um, so I'm, uh, so it's, it's, it's an incredibly interesting conversation because quarterback is sort of this great unknown of how to find the right one for your team. Yeah, no, there's a really good book by Bruce Feldman about this, about all the things that go on where there are people who claim that they can psychologically profile young kids to figure out if they can uh, have the same personality type as Brett Favre or whatever else. And uh, I'll you tell know. you this, Pat Mahomes. And Drew Brees, there's a, there's a test out there for a private company. I know about this, but Pat Holmes and Drew Brees scored almost identical hmm. on the various sort of intellectual uh, processing tests that they took. I think that is fascinating. It is. It's one of the reasons I love to watch the Gruden camps or did uh, RIP to the Gruden camps. He should have stuck with that because the coaching thing isn't working out great. Um, but the, I love to watch how the players reacted like how engaged they seem with the information because that's 95% of the game, right? Is just like processing the information, learning it, being engaged with it, being enthusiastic about it and listening to criticism too, because Gruden would actually rip guys, you know, Mahomes, he, he showed a bunch of interceptions. What, what are you making this throw for? Why are you carrying the ball like that? 
And I thought Mahomes and the way he reacted to it, he was one of my favorite guys in that draft in part because of his Gruden camp because it just looked like he had the personality to grow. You know, and that's what you need to do most, I think, to be an, a great NFL quarterback is to to grow uh, uh, year after year. And especially when you come out of college and, and learn quickly with all the things that you get thrown at you. And if you have some weird, weird ego about it, right, like that you're that you can't be criticized or something else like that, it's going to make it much tougher for you to succeed. You know why you know why I like the Gruden camp is because I and every other quarterback that went through the combine or came out, you know, for the draft or whatever, was hoping to be drafted. We all went through that, you know, probably minimum three up to 20 times, Mm -hmm. 30 times. Yeah. Every team gives you that, you know, 30 minutes to an hour uh, session. Sometimes it's just talking to the quarterback's coach one-on-one. Other times it's in a private room with film work, watching your games or watching their team's games, talking about football. And they're trying to figure you out. Right. Uh, they're trying to, you know, and, and I, the Gruden thing people like because that's that's what, you know, we all had to do. Uh, a coach watching film, but just and just talking. Yeah. Getting to know somebody and how people react to that. Uh, you know, it's 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 incredible exercise to, to gather information. What was that like for you? I think for me, it was easy and and in a sense of. Uh, you know, I went to this college and we, we were very disciplined in college. Our, our football coach, we did not have guys get in trouble. Uh, I, you know, I was sort of the all-American kid per se. You know, I didn't get in trouble. I got good grades. I worked hard. I worked as hard as anybody in the weight room. I never was late for anything. You're always on time. You're always sort of team first. I sort of came from that sort of old school mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there just would be, you know, and so, you know, for me coming into that type of thing, you know, playing for Marty Schottheimer, the supposed disciplinarian coach that seemed totally normal to me yeah i'm from a small town in iowa you know (laughs) you don't you don't talk back to your elders you don't talk back to your bosses you stick your head down and you you work your butt off and and your team first right and so for me that wasn't a big jump but you know some kids are from different parts of the country they're raised differently uh and so for me it wasn't that hard now when they would start to get into like okay this is what we call these formations and they try to give you a little bit of their offense and they're trying to learn that in literally like five minutes. Yeah. And then, and then they ask you, uh, to, to call something and you struggle with it because you can't, you know, they just dumped a whole bunch of things on you. That was, that was tough. Mm-hmm. That was tough. If you don't have a prior history, you know, it's like me trying to teach you a, a, a little version of French in five minutes and then five minutes from now, you're going to regurgitate something back to me. <laughs> That's hard to do. Yeah. Right. Right. And maybe, Maybe they're looking for just as much for how how you go about trying to do it as opposed to expecting you to be able to nail it because almost nobody could in that situation. So uh, yeah, that's, that's kids, interesting. It's also just a reassuring for a coach to go, oh, like I can tell this kid has been in my offense, this offense before. You know, some <laughs> yeah, of these right. basic concepts he's run. Yeah, so you could tell like, hey, we run a lot of this. They run a lot. Why do you think people like Iowa offensive linemen in the NFL? They, uh, they're basically pro offensive linemen in college, the way they're taught. So yeah. they know these guys have four or five years of practice, uh, on these very th- same things that, you know, a lot of pro coaches agree with. Right. Then you get to these other teams are all spread and everything is spread out. And like, you're speaking a different language. You're talking about zone concepts and all these things to, at a very high level to all these various fronts and whatever. Uh, you don't see that at the college level as much. And so it's reassuring. So, you know, we're going to draft this guy. He may not be as talented, 
when he's got four years of practice in front of him by, you know, Kirk Ferentz, an NFL coach, that's a big advantage for an NFL uh, offensive coordinator, offensive lineman. Right. That is, uh, that is really, really interesting. Um, just the, uh, I mean, in, in the translation, how some guys, now maybe, uh, there was, I think the book on Mitch Trubisky was that he didn't know a ton of this stuff, but. He knew nothing. Supposedly at UNC, their offense was like, nothing about sort of what you know, what you're taught as an NFL quarterback. Yeah, so then, how to diagnose defense and how what kind of, I you know, I have no idea what their offense was, but I I've heard that I've heard that from a professional NFL quarterback's coach. And so he knew very little coming out. Him having to kind of wait a little bit there before he actually got into games and then having this extra year was probably huge for him to have some success because if he had thro- been thrown right in Right from the very beginning, it probably would have been really hard for him. So, I mean, circumstances always, I think about that a lot about different circumstances, like Josh Rosen. Like, oh my gosh, give the guy a break. Like, you, you put him in with this team that's putrid, that's starting Andre Smith at left tackle or something, and it's just like, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, maybe you should have just sat the guy and let Sam Bradford get beaten up for a whole year. But, um, anyway, uh, Sage, we have a journeyman quarterback of the week to get to. Show some respect. Salute. I've traveled every road in this here land. It's time for Matthew and Sage to honor one of the NFL's great journeyman quarterbacks. Matt Castle. And I've got a few things to shout out from his Wikipedia if you're interested on Matt Castle. Known for his year of going 10 and 5 as a starter with the Patriots and still somehow missing the playoffs that season. But his wiki is a journeyman's gem, Sage. He uh, played in the Little League World Series in 1994. Um, his family's house was destroyed by the Northridge earthquake in 94. Um, he played baseball for one season at USC in 2004 and went 0-1 with an ERA of 9.35. So that didn't work out very well for him. That could have been, that could have been one run in the, in the bottom, in the ninth inning, <laughs> right? Uh, of one game. And that was it, right? Well, that, and, he, and he lost, he lost the tie. There was a little, like that, yeah, there was a little bit more. He, he, okay, okay. he had 10 total strikeouts, so he must have pitched a few innings, but still was drafted. Oh, he played in eight total games. So there you go. And had one okay. at, one at bat at USC. And was still drafted in the 36th round, which tells you about the MLB draft, right? That's 36th round. It's a lot of rounds. It's, uh, they actually cut Well, it. I would say he's a talented, he's a talented, uh, talented kid. And, uh, I, by the way, didn't start at quarterback at USC. Correct. At all. Yeah. What a wild story. Like, just the, the guy didn't even start and he ends up on an NFL team. And then at one point, this is my favorite thing with Matt Castle is the, the debate shows, the shows where they yell at each other. They uh they were debating at one time whether the Patriots should trade Brady because they had Castle. Well, yeah, and 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 Castle is so much cheaper, and you know, yada yada. Yeah, it's it's it is incredible, and 
Um, by the way, there should be an asterisk. We should have, we should talk about guys occasionally who like weren't necessarily the starters in college. Like Brad Johnson was not a yeah. starter at Florida State. Right. AJ Feely started about a half a season or so at Oregon and then he got hurt. Then Joey Harrington took over and that was it. He never played his senior year. There are these guys who sort of fall through the cracks because, you know, I guess the guy in front of them was a great college player and they were the backup and never played, but actually were NFL caliber quarterbacks. So and Matt Castle is one of those guys. You know how we have like a minimum for what you need to be to be a journeyman quarterback? Like there's also, these are like, these are like bonus points. Like, if you didn't even really start in college and you end up having a career that lasts 14 seasons, like, boom, you get a bonus. You get a journey that is bonus. A, he's up there with Josh McCown, I would say. What? How many teams did he play for? I bet you it's at least seven. Okay, so he's been with Kansas, like, New England, Kansas City, Minnesota, Tennessee, Dallas, Detroit. So Six? Yeah, he's uh, and he made a Pro Bowl. But, like, in one of those, like, weird situations where everyone makes the Pro Bowl, like what a journeyman career! This is amazing. Unbelievable. He does not have the uh, the uh, return to the same team. No, he doesn't return have a second to the scene stint. of the crime. Doesn't have a second stint. Uh, <laughs> but, but but it's not over yet. So <laughs> there's a good Keeper, chance. Of now he is he is at this point only thought of as a backup. Yes. Uh, probably come near the end, but at one point was known to be like bring him in to start. Slash maybe there's like a young guy to compete. Uh, or he's going to compete with a guy. He's the veteran and there's a young guy. You know, he would also be one of those guys who probably bounces around, uh, you know, the, the Belichick tree of coaching, mm-hmm. you know, right? Like he might end up back in Tennessee with a second stint because Vrabel's there. Now, you know, like this is, you know, or, or whatever, right? So there's these random spots where he might end up, uh, you know, maybe on Romeo Cornell's staff or something somewhere, you know, down the line. Now, so the, uh, the thing about him that he gets just so many more bonus points. Um, he was in a three-way quarterback competition with the Bills and lost and got traded to Dallas and then started in pretty much a tank year so they could get Ezekiel Elliott. But uh, what I think that even more bonus points for him goes to the, at one time you convinced someone you could be their franchise quarterback, but like you definitely couldn't. You know, <laughs> and that was his his random 10-5 and five year with Kansas City where he was legit good for that season. It's sort of like a Case Keenum type thing where he was really actually good, but then they were convinced he could be their franchise quarterback, and no, no, he, no. Well, there's, there, listen, there's an aspect of, as I said, I think I've said on the show before, you know, Brian Greasy once told me, uh, you know, the key was staying in the league for a long time is when you do play, you have to play well. Right, yeah. You have to get completions. You have to move the ball. You can't embarrass yourself. You have to show some good stuff. And you may not even get that chance. You might be one of those guys who literally, like, you're in it for two years. You don't really play. And they decide to move on, and they like somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you may never get that chance, and that's it. Or, but if you do get that chance, you, you can't go out there and, and throw a stinker right off the bat. And he, in his first action, uh, real action, played great. Uh, I believe it was his rookie year. I, we were, I think it might have been, I think it might have been the Doug Flutie drop kick extra point game. I think he played the second half of that game and it was a crappy weather game. It was sort of snowy, wet, muddy. And I was like, man, this kid's impressive. He's really letting it sling. You know, he's not playing conserved out here. He's making some tight throws and some tight windows against our defense, which is really good. He was competing. 
I was like, I like, I like this kid. You know, he's, he's, a, he's gutsy, you know, whatever. He's an undrafted kid. Never heard of him before. Your memory, and, uh, you your know, memory sure, is strong. Uh, sure enough. Sure enough. 14 years later, he's still planning. 11 for right. 22 touchdowns, 168 yards, 116 quarterback rating in a loss to your Miami Dolphins, 26, 28 in the Doug Flutie kick game. How about that? Unbelievable. That's... Well, he was 11 for 20 for 168 and two touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, in the, in the all, I think all in the second. I think Brady played the first half. So just in the second half, 168. Not yards. bad for an undrafted yeah. guy out of Southern California playing in that cold weather up in New England. And you're right. If you show even a flash, then people are like, "Oh, he can do it." Kind of. So that's interesting. Last... I feel like it was. I feel like, by the way, I feel like it was grass back then. I feel like the field was really muddy and and worn out. So I'm not positive. I feel like that was pre. Artificial turf. He uh, had a chance to win that game on a two-point conversion, but it didn't work. So that, that was how the uh, Miami Dolphins came out victors on that day. It was a Ben Watson touchdown. Ben Watson's still around. Yeah, Ben he Watson's still around. He also threw one to Tim Dwight, and Gus Farratt was the opposing team's quarterback. I mean, that's just wow. Gus Farratt was our quarterback. I was the number two. Cleo Lemon was the number three. <laughs> this, is, uh, Jason this is our Garrett, type of game. Jason Garrett, my quarterback's coach. Scott Linehan calling the plays. Will Muschamp at linebacker's coach, sort of uh, defensive coordinator, and obviously Nick Saban, our head coach. That was that was quite the team. Man, that is a classic journeyman quarterback. NFL football game right there. Last thing to note from his Wikipedia. On the night of January 26, 2012, a fire broke out in a family's house in the village of Lock Lloyd, Missouri. Castle, seeing the smoke from the fire, ran to the house to alert the family. The family was able to make it out alive. So not only a great journeyman quarterback, a hero. He is like the all-American dream. I mean, you got to be, if you're Matt Castle's dad, man, you really should have won the lottery for a for a son he's i mean from childhood all the way into now i'm sure he is very proud parents. that's right he, they definitely should be all right saints this is uh this has been one of the best i think journeyman quarterback analysis of mad castle so uh thank you always for your time safe travels if this hasn't taken up your entire uh journey um through the midwest and uh, almost back to omaha almost there all right very very good very good well safe travels the rest of the way and uh, we'll talk to you again next week sounds great all right and thank you all as always for listening to the purple podcast this holiday season peloton's got a gift for you right now get up to 200 dollars off accessories with the purchase of a peloton shred accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands a heart rate monitor yoga blocks and more Take your workout to the next level with Peloton, motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.